Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I'm here with Emily. Hi. And we are talking to Matthew Bonnick. Matthew is a senior cloud architect at Defiance Digital. He is well known in the CDK DevTools space. He's one of our DevTools heroes, and he's done some interesting things with CDK and step functions. So I thought it would be great to have him on the podcast today and talk about that. I think you'll you'll find this uh, interesting, especially if you've played around uh, with any of that. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Matthew. Thank you very much for having me. So let's start with a little bit of your background. What was your journey to the cloud like? People may know you in DynamoDB, CDK space. Mm -hmm. Uh, how did you get to where you are today? Well, started off uh, as a teenager, just loving video games and computers. I uh, first foray was to try to create my own version of Street Fighter, and that failed horribly because oh. I had no artistic talents. What character? So, uh, uh, my favorite was usually going to be Ken or Guile in most cases. Yeah, Ken is so powerful. Ken would take my Ryu out forget about it. And then I would have to go with Blanca to electrocute my brother who would always get me with Ken. Always a good one. Yes. Yeah. So I started off going down that path of trying to create my own one. But uh, when that didn't work out well, I started going into more animation and 3D animation, still found I had no artistic talent. So then I went to a computer science degree. I started off at Virginia Tech and then ended up transferring to CU Boulder. And when I got my CS degree from Boulder, I realized I didn't want to be a developer. It sounded really boring. It was writing a bunch of algorithms, data structures, and things that weren't that interesting. But I stayed in IT. So I went off and I worked for a company straight out of college that uh, was a Microsoft Great Plains ISV. They built some plugins for it, and I supported our U.S. customers with those plugins and their systems. And then started getting back into development, realized that you can actually do some interesting things while writing code. And in 08, I started becoming a full-time .NET developer. I started building some SharePoint-based applications, some basic .NET applications. But after seven years of doing that, I got really bored of just putting forms over top of SQL Server. So I VB or C Sharp. C sharp, 2000, definitely. 2008, that was the big thing. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. C sharp, yeah. that was me too. Yep. So uh, went off and decided that if I was going to work on more interesting projects, I had to know a more interesting framework. So I picked up Node and AngularJS and went and taught myself that. Did some contracting on my own for a few years, building some of those applications. And then I uh, had a relationship with Eric Johnson, a developer advocate there at AWS, yeah. and he convinced me to go work with him at Rackspace. So I went down to Rackspace, and we were building a client onboarding application entirely within AWS serverless, so Lambdas, API gateways, Dynamo, things like that. And that's when I really got into the cloud first and foremost. And after we uh, built that application for a while, I think it was about two weeks before uh, it was supposed to go live and an internal business change said that that application was made redundant in favor of Jira and they pushed me into a DevOps role. So I started going off and doing DevOps. EJ had showed me the CDK and at my first glance at it, uh, because at the time I was using Terraform, my first glance was this doesn't really look like something I'd wanna do. I like declarative, I like just doing static files. 
So I did that for a few months and then I went back to the CDK when I was on a contract and I needed to handle creating about 200 some odd physical RDS instances in a particular customer's accounts. And the CDK was simply the best and easiest way to do that. And I've been generally working with the CDK ever since to build infrastructure for my clients, build automations, build things that they need to get their businesses done. That's amazing. Can I step way back for a second? Are you from Virginia? Yeah. What part? No, actually born and raised here in Colorado. My parents, though, are from Virginia, both went to Virginia Tech. And uh, I went there because of a little bit of alma mater with my parents. Uh, but mostly because I just wanted to get out of Colorado. And then after spending two years in Southwest Virginia, I decided I really wanted to come back to Colorado. That's fair. That's fair. I'm from Nova. So it's a little bit of a different world. Hmm. Indeed. So yeah, so that, that that was my history. That was me getting into the CDK. Um, this last year has really seen a big adoption in terms of the CDK book that me and the other authors wrote. Uh, doing some blog posts here and there, and generally just trying to make sure that because the CDK is such a powerful tool, we're really trying to make sure that um, we get people to adopt it well and adopt it right. Okay, that's amazing. So what, like, if someone's not familiar, what is CDK? The CDK is, let's see if I can do the elevator speech for this. The CDK is a API available within all the major popular general purpose languages like TypeScript, JavaScript, C Sharp, Java, and Python. Uh, TypeScript and Python are the two most popular versions of this. And this API allows you to programmatically define your AWS resources and then through a synthesized routine, turns all of that code into standard CloudFormation templates that you then push through the CloudFormation service as you would anything else. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have access to standardized verbs when interacting with CDK, whereas if you're working with individual services, you wouldn't necessarily have that. Is that correct or no? The verbs is a new term I'm not familiar with. But yes, we do have these these ideas of these constructs that allow us to uh, customize and abstract away complex infrastructure into more reusable components. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, like the EKS one is probably the most common big construct that we've got where we've got this EKS construct we build and it'll go off and create an EKS cluster, but then gives you all a lot of these helper routines for adding Helm charts, manifest YAMLs, and other things to that cluster in a very easy programmatic fashion. So we don't have to write our own YAML? It's it's made for us? <laughs> yeah. If you don't want to write YAML, you don't have to. No, you can. Emily's going to have to. I'm going to make sure. You're just... Fair enough. <laughs> Cruelty is this. That's wrong, Dave. That's how we I would never people. make and I would never make anyone write YAML. Yeah, YAMLs. It's too cruel. It is. You don't have um, to do it. When <laughs> when we talk about step functions, like tell me mm-hmm. more about that and like how they're used. What how would someone apply that to their own sort of workflows? Sure. So, uh, you know, step functions has been around for years and its first you know, iteration up until last year was pretty feature focused. You know, we weren't seeing a lot of people actually adopt step functions because doing so either meant that you had to write a lot of Lambda functions yourself, in which case most people said, well, I'd just rather go and write the Lambda functions directly and skip the whole step functions thing. Um, and also, it wasn't a great experience because, again, you're now trying to write these workflows and these state machines within YAML or JSON, which wasn't fantastic. So 
Uh, the last year, the Step Functions of Team released the Workflow Studio. That was a big uh, help in the developer experience, made it a lot easier to design out and really visualize these state machines they were trying to build. And then at the end of last year, they released the AWS SDK integrations, which meant that we could ditch writing a lot of Lambda functions and now just interact with the AWS APIs directly. So uh, the first experience that I had with it, it was actually uh, just about a week or two before reInvent 2021. And uh, someone came to me and said, well, we need to automate this little work with uh, SQL Server. And I thought, oh, well, this will be a good time to kind of dig into it. And I took a look and I said, okay, I'm too busy right now. I'll come back to this later. But then at reInvent, I went to Sam Dengler's talks around step functions and rapid application development. And what I saw him do on stage in a live demo, which you're never supposed to do at a conference, he live demoed the creation of a fully functioning workflow there on stage. And I realized that with a couple of simple techniques, it was very easy to build these workflows in Workflow Studio, but I walked away from it going, yeah, that's great, but I don't want Workflow Studio to be my source of truth for those workflows. I'm a CDK guy. I want the CDK to hold that sort of stuff. So that's when I stepped back and and, uh, after a very overwhelming Thursday afternoon, we launched the CDK book. It was endless talking with people. Uh, I'm an extrovert. So having two years of a pandemic and then going into a conference with 20,000 people, and especially one in which with the launch of the book meant there was a lot of conversations being had, by Thursday night, I was just beat. And I said, okay, I need to sort of center myself, relax a little bit, and sort of uh, release the panic that had building up over the day. So what did I do? I decided to go write code because that's what a developer does. So I sat in my hotel room that night and I said, okay, what's a basic step function that I could write? How can I introduce this and manage this in the CDK, but do it in a way that created a very good developer experience? And that ended up turning into this blog that I posted uh, last week, a couple of weeks ago, uh, as well as a uh, now publicly available third-party construct for working with step functions in the workflow studio. So let me get this straight. When you're exhausted from reInvent, which is its own bar... I mean, AWS really is raising the bar on exhausting conferences. Um, <laughs> you, in order to relax, go home or go to your hotel room and code. Meanwhile, I order tea and a cheese plate <laughs> and sit there and stare at the wall. Um, I'm kind of impressed. That's well done. Well done. Thanks. So, Thanks. Yeah. like, <laughs> talk to me more about what that was like. Like, you see something work on stage. I am impressed with the live demo, especially at reInvent. And then... Mm-hmm you take that and you kind of run with it. Like, what was your, what were your hypotheses when you started? What did you kind of discover along the way? What were the good surprises, sort of icky surprises? Tell me about everything you discovered in that moment. You know, honestly, I, uh, it was actually a fairly simple routine. You know, we sat there and I said, okay, what is this ASL that the workflow studio is going to produce? Big JSON file. And then I looked at, I said, okay, what are the things in this JSON file that I'd really want the CDK to control? And one of the things that I've always been a big proponent about with the CDK is that because it is a general purpose language, because it's only an API that you leverage within TypeScript, JavaScript, or whatever language you choose, you have that language's entire tool set available to you to actually manipulate and work into your infrastructure definitions. So if this was a case where I was stuck with either Terraform or CloudFormation by itself, I 
probably would have had to go off and write my entire own application, some sort of CLI tool within whatever my favorite language was to do the manipulation of the JSON file. But because this is the CDK and I'm already naturally in that language, it ended up being very easy to find a simple routine on Stack Overflow that allowed me to take that ASL and simply overlay on top of it the CDK controlled values, like what S3 bucket I want to interact with, what Lambda function I want to work with. And then after that, it was pretty trivial just to go ahead and and continue solidifying this into a construct and then publishing it up. It's amazing. And you're involved with the Open Construct Foundation. Tell me about that. Yes. So the Open Construct Foundation, I started up back at the end of 2019 with a fairly simple goal, which was to help the community in both um, projects like uh, the CDK Dev website, the CDK Day conference, and other things to help the community learn and and use the CDK to the best of their abilities. We've been a sponsor of the CDK Day uh, for the last two iterations, and we are now in the middle of planning our third. And really, it was really uh, a means for just saying, okay, at some point in the future, we're going to have to start paying for some things, and I'd like to have a nonprofit so that I don't have to worry about somewhere down the line, someone turning this into some nefarious means to make money. Fascinating. Do you think the the concept of constructs will extend beyond CDK? Like sometimes I think about the the architecture of certain AWS services is fascinating. And I would love to see more standardization across the industry on how we sort of approach some of these problems that we all face. Like, do you sure. feel like constructs is a solution that would would fit a lot of scenarios? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, so one of the interesting things about the Construct API is that it isn't really fundamentally that new in terms of how it works and what it does behind the scenes. It's a tree of abstractions. And if we take a look at things like React, React is fundamentally a very, very similar API. In React, I'll go out and I will create a functional component that represents the header of a website. And that construct that that React component, I should say, um, abstracts away the details of having a logo in the upper left and a profile menu in the upper right and so on and so forth. As a consumer of that component, I don't have to care about those details. I may just have to set a couple properties on it and I'm done. And because of this very powerful um, abstraction process that React is built, we now have this incredibly powerful ecosystem that makes it so that if I want to build a React application, I can do so with just pulling all these different third-party libraries off of GitHub, off of other places, incorporating them in, and everything works very well. It's really about the same process for constructs. Uh, in the CDK, we can use the L2 constructs. They're part of the CDK that are produced by the AWS team and by the open source community as a whole. We can have the L3 constructs as well. And then we can pull in the third-party constructs from the construct hub at constructs.dev. Those things are publicly available and anyone can produce them. And as long as you follow some basic best practices with it, then it's very easy for these things to be adopted by a lot of people. And because we've seen such success in the CDK, uh, Terraform and their version of the CDK for Terraform is already spun up. Uh, It is gotten a lot of good support from HashiCorp, and I hope to see that product grow over time, although I've never personally dealt with it. Um, I know that there's some very passionate people on that project who are really trying to make that work. 
Um, we've got the CD Kate for the Kubernetes world. I'm using that with one of my customers. It has been a very, very powerful tool because they had some extremely squirrely and spaghetti-like uh, Kubernetes resource definitions. And I was able to really put a lot of really good unit testing and a lot of um, solidify a lot of that behind the CD Kates project. And then we've also got Progen, which I think is probably one of the hotter projects if you look at the CDK dev Slack channel. Progen allows you to take this constructs concept and apply it to your entire code repository. So whether you're dealing with a React application, a Python application, whatever it may be, you can now manage that application repository using Progen and using constructs. So we've used it with one of our clients to generate a microservice project. If they have a new microservice they need to spin up, they just create a new Progen instance off of that project. And with it, they get all the basic um, requirements for that microservice, including things like build pipelines and Circle CI and other things just immediately out of the box, ready to go. And it's proven to be a really great tool for getting those things spun up, managed long-term, much better than trying to do templating or anything like that. Because the classic problem with doing templating for when you do projects is, great, I created this project. Now, six months down the line, that project has, that that template has evolved, it has grown, it's got better, but I have no way of going back to those previously created projects and updating them. Progen solves that problem because it just maintains all of your files from day one. So that's going to be the really hot one. I think over the course of the next year, you're going to see a lot of people adopting Progen. Uh, we've standardized on it now internally at our company as well. And I think just in general, you're going to see a lot of um, continued adoption of this type of API. Love it. And I, I'll put the link to your specific blog post. It's a, you know, I always having this career in this space, I always go back to older products. So I couldn't help as I'm looking through ASL and, you know, workflow studio, do you, and maybe it's still around. You remember biz talk. I remember a biz talk, oh. Microsoft biz talk, and there was soap packages and it was just trying to, or, and then there was WCF, I think, Windows Communication yeah. Foundation, if anyone Which I remembers loved, that. Which I by the way. I'll just say yeah, I love I WCF. Had, I still have a WCF book somewhere that I had signed. I had, there's a whole story about me getting black mold in my basement and I lost all my old tech books. But oh. yeah, so this, you know, this problem has been around for a while. And can you just walk through what, because I don't know if we necessarily dove a little bit into that the orchestration visual engine of creating these step functions is going to output this ASL file, mm -hmm. right? And so what your blog post was about is you went in there and you're reading the actual ASL file that's being generated. I think you're using a node package and then you're moving that through a CDK construct so that I can make minor edits inside. If it's just a little thing in the orchestration, I can actually do that in the workflow designer, but then everything else is just flowing nice through the CDK and I've got my whole infrastructure as code pattern. Is that, do I have that right of uh, kind of the approach that you took here? Right. The goal that I had was to mainly say, I want to stay in the workflow studio as much as I can for developing, debugging, testing, and executing my workflow. 
Uh, one of the reasons why I really wanted to lean towards Workflow Studio is that the CDK team produced a bunch of constructs and L2 components for defining workflows within the CDK directly. No Workflow Studio involved, just I'm going to create this pass object. I'm going to create a Lambda invoke object. And they used a Chainable-based API for doing it. And I tried that once or twice for creating things, but I always found that the code ended up being very hard to read, very hard to follow. And that's what kept drawing me back to the Workflow Studio was that uh, you could go in and take a look at this thing and just instantly see how thing pr things progress through that workflow, uh, how things were laid out, how they would potentially execute when you, when you started that workflow up. And it just seemed like a much better development experience. So the idea is, you go into Workflow Studio, you build everything there as much as you can. And the, when you're all done and you're happy with how that ASL works, you copy that down into your CDK code. Uh, I, through the blog post, just do a copy and paste basically from the UI into a file. But I also mentioned it would be really trivial to write a small little application that would go and make the API call to retrieve it as well. And then once it's there, just simply overlay and replace out effectively those values that should be CDK controlled, like resource RNs and things like that. And then you deploy it out through the CDK using a hot swap feature or anything else like that. And it made for a very uh, fast development cycle. Uh, I probably built about five, six state machine or states, big state machines, uh, not, nothing huge, pretty sequential type of things. Um, and I was getting these things done in about a less than a day uh, because I was able to really stay in that workflow studio the entire time. And then once I was happy that things were good, copy and paste it out. Now I've got the, my source of truth in my IAC, and now I can deploy this out to a hundred accounts if I want to. Excellent. I So we're up on, on time. How can, like, what's got you excited in this space? You talked a little bit about ProGen you know, obviously CDK day, and we had Matt Coulter on, he announced the CDK call for papers and every cool. CDK day. So that's great to see. How can people follow you online? You know, what, what are you, what are you working on lately and what's got you excited to? So uh, best place to find me online would be on my Twitter um, at Matt Bonig on Twitter. Uh, there's also the cdk.dev Slack channel. I try to be really active over there, answering questions and trying to help out the community the best I can if there's any things that comes up. Those are the, probably the two best places to find me. As far as what I'm working for in the future, continuing to try to do some CDK content, um, I'd like to redo a video that I did last year around OOP techniques with the CDK. Um, also oh, nice. looking at trying to build a little bit of hopefully some more value into the cdk.dev Slack channel. Unfortunately, Slack is not the greatest community tool out there. And I fear that if we tried to shift to something like Discord, we'd potentially just lose a lot of people and I don't want to do that. So instead, I think we're going to be yeah. spending a lot of time in the OCF to try to build some of that functionality um, into uh, Slack bots and other things so that we can get things like um, archived threads. You know, maybe someone asks a really great question about Progen. We get some really great responses about it. I'd love it if we can just hit a button and boom, this is now searchable on the internet. Um, I'll probably on the CDK dev 
channel. So hopefully now that I've officially announced this, I'll be the kick in the pants to actually get that work done and we we get some better functionality. But we're always looking for help um, in the CDK dev website and on the Slack channel for anything community driven as far as feature enhancements and things like that. Exciting. And I know the never pre-announce rule, I always break that. It's like uh, when you were talking to... You know what? I'm not going to say it. Let's just say there's a future guest coming that you know personally that'll be doing some stuff around Terraform and other things I think guests uh, will like. So okay. it's great to cool. see. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the on the podcast today. And I'll put links in for everything. Uh, Workflow Studio, Step Functions. I hope that people get a chance to play with it. And uh, maybe you'll see some things on, on Git. I just, I love the fact that you saw a session went back to your hotel room, coded and built this and now are sharing it with everyone and it's working. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Emily and Dave. I hope you enjoyed it.